0: Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate Real Estate's lifestyle brand presents Real Estate Radio
1: Good morning ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Real Estate Radio on News Talk 105.7 and 540 KMLB Brought to you by Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate Rand Realty We're located at 214 Expo Circle, Suite 3, in West Monroe, Louisiana, 71292. Our phone number is area code 318-325-1869. We are licensed in Louisiana, and each office is independently owned and operated. I'm Johnny Wade, the managing broker here at Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, along with our associate broker, Kevin Bells. Program director, J.R. Smith, will skillfully lead us through the next hour as we discuss local real estate trends and national news that affects real estate all across the United States, including here in Northeast Louisiana. Kevin, you have some interesting information that is a combination of both positive and negative news, but even the negative news shows signs of a a silver lining.
0: Residential single family home sales, as reported to the multiple listing service of the Northeast Louisiana Association of Realtors as of yesterday, that's Thursday, may fourteenth, twenty twenty, at two twenty eight PM. You can't get much more exact than that, can you? That's when we pulled them up. This is January the first, twenty twenty to May fourteenth, twenty twenty. This year so far we have sold seven hundred and forty-two single family home units. That's as opposed to seven hundred and fifty-four sales. Same time frame last year. So we're down 12 units. That's 1.6%. That's a decrease. And keep that in mind because remember last week we told you that through April 30th, we had a fairly healthy increase. And we've lost that increase and we've lost it in a big way. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. The average price for a home sold so far this year, $184,852. That's $7,035 more than last year. That's a good number. Excuse me. Last year, one hundred and seventy-seven thousand eight hundred and seventeen dollars was the average per unit sold in the year to date, January first, nineteen to May fourteenth of nineteen. So we're 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 plus seventy thirty-five in dollars. Days on the market, they're running longer as usual. One hundred and sixty-two days is the average days on the market from list to sale. In 2020, last year, same time frame, 144 days, so it's taking about 18 days longer to sell your home. Now, why is this important? 742 units sold so far this year, 754 units last year, that's negative 12. Last week, we told you that we were plus year to date through April the 30th, we were up fourteen units ahead of twenty nineteen. That was great. Now we picked up another couple sales that were reported. They were reported late, but we were plus sixteen. So from January the first, twenty twenty to april thirtieth, twenty twenty, compared to nineteen same time frame last week we were plus sixteen in units sold. Why are we negative twelve now? if you can do basic math. Here it is, May 1st, 2020 to May 14th, 2020. So far in May, we have sold 54 units. Last year, same time frame, 82 units. That's huge. That's a precipitous drop. That is a literal free fall year to date. We've sold 54 houses, 54 single family units. Last year, 82. A 28 unit decrease so far this month. That's a 34% decrease. That's obviously an eye-opener, and we do we are somewhat concerned about it, but we'll keep going, and it will appear to get a little better. The average price so far this year, $195,655 per unit. That's $20,368 per unit better than last year. Same time frame, $175,287. That's an 11% or 11.6% increase in average price per unit for May only. Now, days on the market, 165 days, nothing new there. Year-to-date, it's about 162. Last year, May sales, 118 days. So it's apparent that May 2019 was an absolute monster month. That is, May of 2019 was a tremendous month in sales and apparently days on the market, at least the first half of May. Why in the world have we only sold 54 units this year? Only for May. Now, that's May 1st, May 14th, and 82 units last year. Now, there's no doubt we're going to have some, some more reported sales uh, that, were, that were closed on the 14th. That were, they'll be reported today through next week. I don't think it's going to be 28, Johnny. I do not think we're going to make up that 28-unit drop between now and next week. We'll probably end up closer to 20. This is definitely a cause for concern. But it's not a cause for alarm, and I'll tell you why. Pending contracts. We've not traced pending contracts all year, but we started on March the 27th. So for 8 consecutive weeks we've tracked pending contracts. We are not in, we are not including in these pending contracts contracts that are contingent on the sale of another home or lease purchases. These are these are pending contracts are signed between the buyer and seller and if they meet all the criteria, the contingencies that are in every contract basically they'll go to closing. Now, when we started back on March 27th, we had 304 pending contracts. We dipped under 300 for about five straight weeks. Last week, we had the best week since we started reporting pending contracts. 316 pending contracts last week. Well, that number has jumped, and it's jumped by a big margin. As of yesterday at about 3 o'clock or so, 359 pending contracts. That's a huge number and a big lift, and this is what this means, and, and, and you never really know how it's going to fall. There's no way to predict this. You, you don't, we don't have a crystal ball, and we certainly don't know how things are going to turn out, but this is the highest number of pending contracts since we started doing this seven weeks ago. What does this mean? it means this. Last May, May of 2019, we closed and sold 232 units. In June of 2019, we closed and sold 237 units. That's 469 units for May and June combined of 2019. We're already at 359 pending contracts. So we're about 110 units short under contract to equal both May and June together. Now, keep in mind, most of these contracts should should close by the end of June, if not before. So, Johnny, even though we had, we are getting absolutely waxed in the month of May, we're we're getting killed. We're negative 28. But if you look at the pending contracts, what we have in the hopper, we're 110 short. It's very possible that we'll get closer to that number. Maybe not in May, but May and June combined. It does. It's not all bad. There is, I guess, a silver lining in this cloud. Yeah, Kevin. It
1: looks like you know you definitely got you know buyers out there they are, you know, still looking for homes and, and and writing contracts, and, you know, I think the, you know, the, the environment right now, w- what we're looking at with the low interest rates is, you know, definitely driving this, so, you know, definitely got uh, people still out there looking, you know, looking at homes and uh, taking advantage of these low rates.
0: Johnny, what what about the rates? I'll get into the new listings uh, here in a minute, but what about the rates? I know you've been tracking them both nationally, and I know Susie Dartlaw, one of our great sponsors at Eagle Bank Mortgage has sent some rates over this morning. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, right now your 30-year conventional is is coming in around 3%, and your FHA and Rural Development Loans, uh, they're coming in right around 2.75%. Now, this week, the average U.S. mortgage rate rose slightly, uh, to 3.28%. Now this week's 30-year fixed home loan average is still the low, third lowest on record. Now although the average U.S. rate for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage rose slightly this week by two basis points, it's not, you know, too far off from the 3.23% all-time low that was set at the end of April. The rate increased, uh, from the 3.26% average from last week, and this is all according to the recent Freddie Mac survey. The average rate has stayed under 3.4% since the beginning of April after the Federal Reserve began its bond-buying program implemented during the COVID pandemic. Now, Sam Cater, Freddie Mac's chief economist, stated that mortgage rates have stabilized at very low levels over, over the last few weeks as home buyer demand slowly improves and that the low rates will help to bolster real estate demand as the U.S. states begin easing their pandemic restrictions. Cater forecasts that the average rate in the current quarter for a 30-year fixed home loan will be around 3.3%, and the final two quarters of 2020, he's expecting them to fall even lower to 3.2%. Mortgage applications to finance home purchases have risen for four consecutive weeks, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association weekly report. Now, Cater went on to say that although purchase applications reached a new low in mid-April, purchase demand is only down 10% from a year ago and that while demand is improving, inventory is still low and declining with no signs of a turnaround yet. The number of U.S. home sales this year will likely fall around 14% nationally compared with 2019 as the nation grapples with the worst pandemic in over a century, and this is all according to a forecast from the National Association of Realtors. Now, rather than having a traditional spring buying season, The April through June period, when the bulk of home sales typically occur, demand will now shift to later in the year when lockdowns have lifted. And this is according to the National Association of Realtors, which is forecasting 4.62 million home sales this year nationally, down from 5.34 million in 2019. So, Kevin, you know, rates are still remaining near historic lows, and all signs point that they will remain low and possibly go even lower. But with that said, it's looking like you know there could be a supply issue with a number of homes on the market moving forward.
0: No doubt about it, Johnny. We talked about this last week, and for the last several weeks, we have told you about new listings. Now, I don't have any new data. Uh, the MLS, the Multiple Listing Service of the Northeast Louisiana Association of Realtors, has put a a graph on our on our. I call it our cover page when we get to our site. They haven't updated it since May the 2nd, but I'll go ahead and tell you about it anyway. It's several weeks. It basically goes from March the 1st through May the 2nd. So there's several weeks involved, and I think we told you guys last week or told you folks last week, these are new listings taken, and we were drastically down in new listings taken. You didn't see it. In the first two weeks, the first two weeks that they tracked it, March 1st through March 7th, we, we had 79 new listings taken year before 75, so we're good there. March 8th through the 14th, we took 79 new listings again. 2019, that's uh, we took 72, so we're plus seven. We're okay so far, but look at March the 15th through March 21st. This is where it started getting uh, the inventory started getting low. We took 69 new listings, year before 84. So in successive weeks, we went from plus 4 and plus 7 to negative 15, negative 44, negative 39, negative 39, negative 44 again. Basically, from March the 1st through May the 2nd, this is new listings, we're down 23.6% and new listings taken, this absolutely affects the inventory and plays right into what Johnny just said. There's no inventory, so whether you have demand or not, and we do have quite a bit of demand here, we're obviously trailing uh, big time uh, May to May this year to last year, but we've said this before, this is a repeat, and Johnny just said this, this was a prediction back on April 21st, Dara Singh had spoken to Lawrence Yoon, the chief economist at the National Association of Realtors. He felt like sales activity would be down 30 to 40 percent. And Johnny, I think what you just said, uh, what the inventory shows locally and nationally, and what we're seeing in May is playing right into their predictions. They're about spot on, aren't they?
1: Yeah, Kevin, you know, they've been talking about the uh, inventory uh, issue on a national level for the last couple of years. And, again, you know, we're starting to see that, you know, trend here some. And, obviously, with all that's going on with the pandemic, it's not unreasonable to, you know, expect that. But, you know, even like you said, you know, even with uh, the inventory uh, going down, there is a demand, uh, you know, out there. So, you know, some homes... We're seeing right now that, you know, at the good, they're in good uh, – certain price points in certain areas. You know, they're you know they're moving pretty fast, and the days on market, are, you know, uh, has gone down on certain types of homes. Johnny,
0: one thing that Yoon said, and he's an outstanding economist. He's been with the National Association of Realtors for at least 10 years, probably longer than that. Very smart gentleman. But one thing that he said, and I think this is going to play and probably going to be true at least through the end of the year – he said, even though sales are going to go down anywhere from thirty to forty percent, you're going to see less activity. There's less in, less inventory, et cetera. Most sellers are not in a panic mode. So right now, if things remain as they are, don't look for a lot of bargains because people are hanging tough on the prices. And I think we've proven that. The average price of a home sold so far this year, 184852 that's plus 4% over last year. That's for the whole year. May is even bigger. And this is amazing to me. We've sold 54 units so far this month. Last year, same time frame as we mentioned, 82. We're down 34% in units sold, but the average price per unit is up 20000 Three hundred and sixty-eight dollars from May this year to May last year. That's up eleven point six percent. I can tell you this: unless something absolutely catastrophic happens, I mean, and, and everybody's laughing at me. What do you think this is, Bales? Yeah, this is a this is definitely a catastrophe in the making. There's no doubt about it. And I and I don't have enough time on this show to go over what could be the ramifications of over $2 trillion poured in, printed, <laughs> basically printed out on the printing presses and sent out, although that's the only real thing you can do. When the government says you can't work, they got to somehow provide a way for you to, to get by, but what will the ramifications be for a prolonged shutdown with all the money being flung around, with all the things being done? What's going to happen on the backside with supply, with prices and all that? Again, we could go into, we could probably have 10 shows on the possible ramifications of all this, and obviously, unemployment at 16 to 20% is an absolute disaster, and I'm afraid we haven't seen the full effect of that, and may not till this winter or early next year, but, but I'll say this, if people are working in a locale, and remember, all real estate's local, if people are working. And the rates are low, and they should be because the Fed has left the genie out of the bottle now. They cannot let rates go up because if they do, it's going to bankrupt the entire country. There's no way we can pay the debt that we have now if the rates go up to 5, 6, 7, 10%. It would break us practically overnight. But the thing about it is this as long as people are working, and as long as people continue to be in a decent situation, that is not a desperate situation, I think Lawrence Yoon is absolutely right, and it's and so far it's been the case, prices aren't going to go down. If you're sitting here waiting waiting for a deal in real estate, you may have to wait six months to a year. I'm not saying it won't happen in six months, 12 months, 18 months. But if there's a bloodbath and prices do go down, it's not going to be in the near future. If you, with rates as cheap as they are, if you want to refinance or purchase, now's the time to do it.
1: Yeah, Kevin, as you're talking about that and talking about, you know, what the, uh, you know, how the values are right now with real estate, you know, Shannon McGahan, who is the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Association of Realtors, recently wrote a very interesting article that was titled, you know, Is Real Estate America's Rock During the Coronavirus Crisis? And she went on to talk about that, you know, while retirement accounts and the stock market, you know, have cratered, home values are hanging tough. The National Association of Realtors reports that the median existing home price for all housing types in March was up 8% from March in 2019 as prices have increased in every region of the country. And with proper recovery and the right policies, uh, she went on to say that there is a great chance that home values will remain fairly stable even as home sales temporarily fall while Americans shelter in place. The pandemic also hasn't stopped real estate transactions like in many other sectors. Now, a recent survey of the National Association of Realtor members found that one quarter of realtors had at least one client go under contract during the second week of April without even physically seeing the property. Deals are proceeding with the growing use of technology. Even those pausing their real estate transactions still plan to buy and sell once again within a few months. What's more, the National Association of Realtors' research and bailed earlier this year, found that since 2013, the median family net worth for all homeowners has increased by nearly 15%. Now, data from the study strongly suggests that sustainable and affordable homeownership remains the best opportunity most households will ever have to improve their long-term net worth and financial security. Property ownership is turning into a financial rock for many Americans during this crisis, and Congress has gone to great strides to help protect that investment. The strength of the housing sector will be critical to our national recovery. After all, the real estate industry makes up nearly one-fifth of the U.S. economy, and every two houses sold creates one American job. America has been experiencing a housing shortage for many years, as demand for homes has consistently outpaced supply in most major U.S. markets. The National Association of Realtors Chief Economist Lawrence Yoon has stated that his expectation that once we get through the worst of this crisis, housing dem- demand will reemerge quickly. Our economic recovery won't be a slow build like what, we, uh, what followed after the 2008 financial crisis. America's financial and lending systems look vastly different today than they did before the Great Recession shook America's economic core back in 2008. Changes to strengthen lending standards and eliminate loose credit have pushed default and foreclosure rates toward record lows. It has never been more clear that property ownership is still one of the best and safest investments an American family can make. Economic downturns and public health crises, no matter how severe, will never change this fundamental fact but what has become even more apparent that during this crisis home has become more important than ever if congress continues to be a champion of the american people and protect home ownership by all indicators real estate can and will help get our economy going again Kevin, i found that you know to be a really you know interesting outlook of uh you know just how important uh, the real estate market is, you know, in our economy, and but you know, really how resilient the market is, and we've seen that here in our, in our local market, just how resilient the uh, market has been so far, and hopefully we can continue to do that.
0: It's absolutely incredible, Johnny. I totally agree. Twenty percent of our economy is real estate. How amazing is that? And remember that what what uh, Johnny just read, the fundamentals, the fundamentals in the real estate business are so much better now than in the two thousand eight recession. Here's something that we we ran into and, and I hate that we didn't get into fair housing. A lot of times people talk about fair housing and and I know Johnny when we have the classes uh for continuing ed, uh a lot of people in the old days, oh that's boring. We know what fair housing is. But you know fair housing is anything but boring because here's one thing what fair housing is, is this. And a lot of people say it's this or it's that. But he, here's the only thing that matters. If an individual wants to purchase a home and they are able, they are ready, willing, but more importantly, able financially to do so, they should be able to purchase a home in the neighborhood of their choice, in the area of their choice, regardless of the protected classes, race, color, uh, uh, creed. Religion, uh, familial status, the list goes on and on. National origin, it doesn't matter. You should be able to buy a home of your choice. So now we've got a sort of a mixture of a something. There's a, there's something that's happening throughout the country. And I didn't even know the, the name of this term. I didn't know what it meant. It's called gentrification. When I first saw this story, this story came out in Realtor magazine. Realtor Magazine. Uh, we get it as a member of the National Association of Realtors. We get it usually every month, although this issue is May, June 2020. Of course, the cover is how COVID-19 is changing your business. Like, we really need that. We kind of know. But anyway, gentrification. There's a there's an article on page 12 that says, the gentrification conversation. What is gentrification? I thought it meant you're getting old, and I am, but... Uh, Gentrification is the process of renovating and improving a house or district so that it conforms to middle class taste. It usually leads to higher rents, mortgages, and property taxes. So that was the Google definition. I went to Merriam-Webster. They've been around since 1828. They define gentrification as the process of repairing and rebuilding homes and businesses in a deteriorating area such as an urban neighborhood accompanied by an influx of middle class or affluent people, and that often results in the displacement of earlier, usually poorer, residents. So this is this was the article. One of the things that we absolutely prohibit, or the law prohibits, and this is under the Civil Rights Act of 1968, within it, is the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Basically, I can't steer, a real estate agent or realtor cannot steer a client to a neighborhood or away from a neighborhood based on their ethnicity or protected class. So the the article is the gentrification conversation. Redevelopment can breathe life into a struggling neighborhood, but be careful to avoid steering clients. All gentrification really is is renewal. It's basically redevelopment of a struggling, typically urban neighborhood. And they mentioned Detroit. Adjacent to downtown Detroit is a historic river town neighborhood which sits along the Detroit River. Once home to major industrial plants and manufacturing businesses, the area's shops and restaurants supported thousands of workers well into the 1970s. But when the auto industry started restructuring and sending operations overseas, Rivertown began losing its tax base. Soon after, other businesses relocated or shut down, with Detroit's population falling from roughly 1.9 million in 1950 to 772,000 in 2010. Motor City, the Motor City was already struggling when the Great Recession and foreclosure crisis hit in 2008. By then, Rivertown in 2008 was a dilapidated ghost town, lined with vacant lots and abandoned homes. Still, even during the worst years, the article says, the neighborhood's value lay hiding in plain sight. Its proximity to the river and the city's business district made it ripe for rebirth when the time was right, since filing for bankruptcy in 2013, Detroit has been on the path toward revival. Companies like Quicken Loans have brought jobs back, and the opening of Little Caesars Arena downtown has spurred development in the surrounding community. As a result, Rivertown in Detroit has become the fastest, fastest gentrifying neighborhood in the United States, according to Realtor.com. This article is basically aimed at realtors and urging realtors not to violate fair housing. Johnny and I teach fair housing. We believe in it. The Fair Housing Act of 1968 and the Realtor's Code of Ethics prohibit real estate professionals from discussing these kinds of topics. Racial composition of a neighborhood, quality of schools safety of a neighborhood, and other subjects that could be construed as steering buyers to or from a certain community, using subtle coded language meant to imply the demographics of a neighborhood is also illegal. Johnny, who would have thought that quality of schools would be a violation of fair housing, but it most certainly is, is it not?
1: Yeah, Kevin, it definitely is, you know, and as we talk about, you know, the fair housing, you know, ethics, you know, in regards to real estate practitioners, you know, there's some times where, you know, there was, you know, not the intent to actually do anything wrong as, you know, basically, you know, some of the, um, you know, Issues with some of the agents, uh, or some, some realtors or real estate practitioners was, you know, like I said, there was no intent to do anything wrong, but just a lack of knowledge, uh, and really just basically ignorance, you know, on the topic. You know, you see this also, um, a lot of times. Uh, in property management, as you talk about, you know, familiar, familiar status, which is talking about, you know, uh, family with children and whatnot and, uh, you know, apartment complexes or, or whatnot, they may try to, you know, I've seen it where they want to put, you know, don't, they don't want families with children on the second floor. And so that, you know, they're unknowingly violating, you know, these federal fair housing laws by, by having certain, you know, standards with, you know, people with children. So again, sometimes the intent's not always there, um, you know, to violate the uh, federal fair housing laws. But, you know, definitely got to be knowledgeable and keep up to date to make sure, you know, that doesn't take place.
0: Johnny, one thing we've learned through uh, taking and teaching fair housing classes, the intent to discriminate, as you just said, does not have to be there. Now, folks, this is something that happened, and we've teased you about it several weeks. We've never given you the full uh, story about it. But last year, for about three years, there was a company – Uh, called Newsday that did a three-year study of fair housing, and they did it in the state of New York. They didn't just do it in the state of New York. They did it in New York City, but they did it in a very, uh, very nice part of New York City, you might say, uh, a part of Queens called Long Island. An investigation by Newsday published in November of 2019 found disparate treatment disparate treatment, and evidence of fair housing violations when undercover testers posing as homebuyers visited real estate agents throughout Long Island, New York. A total of 93 agents were tested over three years. So this group went out and tested. They were actual people that were set up to test and see if people in New York City, realtors, that is, in New York City, were adhering fair housing. This is what they found. These are 93 agents, 93 real estate agents tested by these Newsday testers over a three-year period. This is what the probe found. Unequal treatment occurred 49% of the time with black testers, 39% of the time with Hispanic testers, and 19% with Asian testers. Unequal treatment included showing minority testers fewer properties steering testers toward certain neighborhoods, and refusing to serve minority testers who weren't pre-approved for financing, but not requiring the same for white testers. Agents also used euphemisms to communicate the racial makeup of an area and imply racial bias. I'm going to get back to Something was said about this area in just a moment. But National Association of Realtors President Vince Malta says he was deeply troubled by Newsday's findings. Housing discrimination violates NAR's code of ethics as well as federal, state, and local laws. And NAR maintains its strong support of fair housing testing to unmask housing discrimination and hold our industry to the highest standard, he says. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you're in a business of real estate and you discriminate, you don't even belong in this business. We'll talk more about this and what gentrification is, the benefits of it, some of the drawbacks of it. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But, folks, we want to thank you for joining us again on our show. We hope and pray that your family stays healthy. We hope to see you next week on Real Estate Radio on News Talk 105.7 and 540 AMLB to listen to all past episodes and to make sure you never miss a new one subscribe to better homes and gardens veranda realty on soundcloud